Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. For this one, I'm continuing the Eliminated series with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are a team that became substantially more interesting, though they already had an interesting summer, with them winning the lottery and getting the number one pick. So I wanted to have on Amin Vafa of Hardwood Paroxysm and Conrad Kazmarak of FearTheSword.com to talk about their offseason. So we talk about the potential free agents like Anderson Verjao, what they should do in the draft, both at the top and potentially with their second round pick, and a lot of other topics. Of course, we get into LeBron and a series of other things. Conversation runs about 50 minutes. It was a lot of fun because we went in into a lot of different directions, and since they have so many uncertain pieces, they don't even have a coach yet, it was a lot of fun to do. Okay, well, thank you guys both so much for coming on. No problem. Glad to be here. So I think that for most teams, the best place to start is actually with the potential changes that can happen in terms of the guys on the existing roster. And the Cavs are an interesting one with that because not only do they have free agents, but they also have a really interesting situation with Anderson Verjao because his contract is partially guaranteed. Well, I guess we'll start with Conrad. What do you expect to happen with Verjao this summer? I expect them to pick up that whole his whole contract I guess it would maybe require a little bit more insight as to his health status but I think he's a good enough player that paying him I think the full contract 9.8 million I think that's pretty fair for what he can produce even if he gives you 60 games in a season I think that's there's a lot of things that go into that like I said his health who the coach is what they plan to do in free agency but I would expect that they they bring him back for the full for the full deal. I'd I like, mean, do you I'd agree like, with that? I think so. Um, I think, I mean, at this point, I think it's one of those more like emotional things too with the Cavs because he's been such a staple on the team for such a long time that I think there's unless they're really trying to make some dramatic changes, um, then I think he'll be back. And if all this LeBron coming back hubbub is has any sort of accuracy to it, then I think bringing Verja back would be pivotal to actually exercising that. So then, to me, the other big interesting one that, that has a ripple effect with Verjao is Spencer Hawes, who they acquired, but would you expect them to bring back Spencer if they already have Verjao on the books for another year? I think so. I think they really like the shooting that Hawes gives them, and, I mean, of course, I think it would have to be at the right price. I don't think they're going to pay more than six, seven million a year for Spencer Hawes, but I think they would definitely like to have him back because we saw what he brought with the with the three point shooting and how that opened up the floor and I think that was something that they really that they really need for Waiters and Irving. But does Hawes replicate a lot of what they want Anthony Bennett to be able to do? Like do you think that he would inhibit like any development on the roster or do you think he'd be like actually necessary for that? for the roster to play out how it should. I think I think he does a lot of the things that they kind of ideally would like Anthony Ben to do, but I don't think anybody you'd have to be really optimistic to go into next year thinking that Ben is going to be able to stretch the floor like Hawes Hawes can. Hmm. Um and Hawes is a really good passer and he's an okay-ish defender when he tries. He's not particularly good, but he's he's not a train wreck. So I, I I don't think that's I I don't I don't know I don't think he's going to be taking too many minutes away from Bennett I don't know how many minutes you like had Bennett slated for going into this year I think that again that really depends on the coach and what his 
sort of vision is and where they want to be next year. Okay. And the other the other factor in that def- is defensively, I think that you would have a lot of problems playing Haas and Bennett together, but if you kind of envision them subbing for one another, so you know you get maximum of 48 minutes or so of the two of them just staggered, I think that could actually work reasonably well because you're getting similar things, and I don't think you're going to play either one of them more than in the 20s. I mean, that would seem really surprising to me. So I think you could do it that way. Kind of, It's a little bit unusual way of thinking about it, but it might actually work, depending, of course, on if they add another big man. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, that's... I don't want to run the show for you, but that's the other thing that we haven't really considered is if they take Joel Embiid with the first pick in the draft, that kind of changes what they do with the center position because having Embiid, Verjao, and Hawes, I mean, it could work, but that's three centers that can't really I guess Embiid would have the best chance of defending power forwards but he's going to be a rookie I don't I'm not sure you have anybody on the roster uh, any of those three big men can really deal with a quick power for quick scoring power forward so that, that complicates things a little bit yeah and let's get into that so for me the big question with the Cavs is who are they going to take with number one and who would you take and we can kind of take that in a broad spectrum of you know what what do you think that each of the potential candidates for that spot means for the team we've talked a little bit about about Embiid I think we should talk more about it but we'll start with I mean who do you expect them to take and who would you take if you were them knowing what you know now I think from what I've been hearing um, mostly it's been focusing on Embiid and I think Embiid will probably be the number one pick Um, and I don't really have a problem with that because I think it means that they've done their due diligence in terms of figuring out his health issues I think I've just been you know like a little bit apprehensive about People always say if you have like a lock big man, number one overall, then you got to do it, and then you live with the consequences later. But I think I've seen more consequences recently than I have of people have any sort of like payout, but that might just be selection bias on my part. So I've been kind of leaning personally towards them getting Wiggins. He's kind of he was going to maybe projected to be a little bit a little bit worse overall, but I think he's still going to be a top prospect in this league for a long time, and I think. You, that wouldn't really be a bad choice for them, but it might not be the best choice. So I think it's a little bit of like fear of missing out on the best if they let Embiid drop to number two. Um, but then, so I guess, like I said, Cavs will probably take Embiid. I would prefer they took Wiggins, but um, I know people will give me flack for that. So Yeah, I'm a team Embiid for now. <laughs> um, and, until, I feel like until we hear something, or maybe we won't hear it until the draft, but in if there isn't like a red flag that the doctors say like, no, this guy is, it's like a Jared Solinger situation. Like there's a really good chance that he's going to need surgery in like the next couple of years or just, this is going to be a problem for a long time. Unless we get here that I think you have to take Embiid. It's just, I think for one, if he didn't have any injury issues, we're not having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like this is what he did at Kansas. And just like his profile as a prospect is, as good as Wiggins and pa- Javari Parker are, mm. it's like kind of crazy to think about that this would not be like a debate if Embiid was completely healthy. He's that good as a prospect, and I think they, I think the Cavs need a, that like young big man to offensively skilled big man to build around. And it's just it just seems like he's too good. Guys like Embiid don't come around very often. So if you're rel- if you're comfortable with his health and you're not like going to be cringing every time he falls down or like make moves awkwardly then I think you just have to take him yeah and the other the the challenge with Embiid that I think is really interesting is that the Cavs have passed on centers the last three years and I think people like me have done a job of pointing that out but what's interesting is that Embiid is a different guy than the guys they passed on I think that he's the closest to an all-around big man meaning that he has a nice offensive game but he also has defense and so that actually fits pretty well with the Cavs because he can be that guy that you give the ball to in the low post while also being the anchor for the defense and I think that's the difference between him and somebody like Noel where Noel we had questions about his strength and his defense and his offensive game was just rough you know he can get there and so that's a big difference but the thing that I can't shake is that I love Wiggins next to Kyrie Irving I think that you don't decide it on that basis but I think that the combination of their of Wiggins being able to play next to a guy who's a reliable scorer and can create for other people reasonably well, but also his defensive ability would just be such a fun backcourt. And I mean, I think we'd be talking in the matter of months 
about them in the same conversation as Amin's other team, the Wizards, and <laughs> my team, the Warriors, in terms of the best young backcourt in the league. And while I don't, I think that the big man is more important. That just the sheer intrigue of that backcourt is enough to keep me interested in Wiggins if I'm the Cavs. Yeah, I think I think there's validity to that, and I I'm not convinced that you say one of the young, best young backcourts. I think I think Wiggins really needs to be a three. I just unless his ball handling comes like improves drastically, I can't really see him being a being a shooting guard right now. Um, and he has the size and the length to be a small forward. So I think that's that's kind of where he needs to slide in positionally because he can defend small forwards and he can he he can defend defensively. It's not an issue. But yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. And the, the, the biggest knock on Wiggins is his ability to create off the dribble and create for himself and create for others. And that's not really an issue if he's playing next to two guys, Kyrie and Dion Waiters, who. Both have good handles. Uh, that might be an understatement, but both and both can <laughs> beat guys off the dribble, and they need somebody who can make smart cuts and kind of those game-changing athleticism that Wiggins has. So I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset if they took Wiggins. It's only if Joel Embiid ends up going to have like a Hakeem Olajuwon type of career, then I would, right. I'd, I'd be like, oh yeah, no, that was like because Wiggins, it's. I just don't, I don't see the same, maybe this is like a different conversation, but I don't see the same super duper star, like top 20 player ever upside with Wiggins. Do you, do you see that like Tracy McGrady, LeBron James, Kevin Durant type of potential with Andrew Wiggins? I'll let you take that, Danny. College basketball is not my super strong suit, but I'm, I'm basically in the same boat as Conrad where I'm worried, like I'd be happy with both and I'd be most dissatisfied if Embiid winds up having a, a a large one type career. <laughs> okay, Wiggins, Wiggins is a hard one for that. I think that he has the physical potential to do it, but it's going to take a lot. You know, like basically the way to think about it is how many things have to go right for him to get there. And I think that he has to get that mentality part. His handle has to get better. His jump shot has to get better. And it's so it's certainly possible, but I don't think, I think it's a lot less likely than Embiid because Embiid has the physical profile, but also the uh, how much Embiid has picked up in the relatively short amount of time he's played basketball is really unusual and makes me think that he's going to continue improving for longer. And I think that he's going to be a wonderful player. The other thing, while we're still on this number one pick thing, there have been murmurs at various points about Jabari Parker. How would you classify your, both of you classify your reaction to it if they took Jabari number one? I would be somewhere between appalled and disgusted <laughs> um <laughs> no offense to Jabari Parker I think he's gonna be a pretty good player I just I can't I can't really fat unless like Joel Embiid's back is like made of like Ritz crackers and Andrew Wiggins is just I, I don't know like it's I can't I can't see it it, it would be it would be really it would be I would be upset just because I don't think he's I think he's going to have to work really hard to be an average defensive player. And I just don't see the same. People talk about him as like one of the most polished offensive prospects. I just don't see the same kind of playmaking from him that like, that's what separates those, those super, superstars from just like really good scorers is they create for others. They share the ball. They're, just like picking apart defenses in so many ways. I just don't see, I think Jabari Parker can score. I just don't really see that total package from him. And that includes defensively where I just don't, I'm not excited about that. I think Parker has been like, he's been highly touted all season, but I think the conversations have very much been like, is it Wiggins or is it Embiid for the number one? And I think, Bringing someone else in from another tier would be like I don't think that I don't I don't think that conversation is happening as much as there has been like other feelers sent out that that conversation might be happening. I mean, if he does an awesome workout and the Cavs are super wowed by it, I have no idea. If, you know, maybe something like that might be able to happen. But you know, I think it's been pretty established that he's going to be a good player, but he is in the next tier. And I think the draft generally happens in these kind of like player fit tiers and they usually don't jump up or down too much unless like some sort of like weird piece of news drops. Like when 
Noel dropped his sixth, and people didn't really under, understand that. Um, but I think, yeah, I th- I'd be pretty, I would be pretty surprised if Parker went number one, unless we're hearing more and more about it in, in like, coming up in the next couple of weeks with workouts and stuff. And then the, the only other thing when we're talking about the number one pick, the other option would be theoretically if they moved it for an already in the league player. And I think we both know that the one guy who that would be possible for is Kevin Love. First of all, like, do you think that's a reasonable trade for, first of all, do you think that's a reasonable trade for the Wolves? And then if you're as a, as a Cavs person, would you be satisfied with that as the return for the number one overall pick? I think for the Wolves, you have to think about it. The Wolves are going to be like, as they're presently constructed, they feel like they're going to be like 8, 9, 10 seed for the next couple of years based on the windows of every other strong team in the West. You know, like they're they're not peaking at the right time. They're And that's problematic for them and problematic for Kevin Love. And if they are going to try to time their whatever title window to be a couple of years down the line, then then it would be really advantageous for them to trade for that pick and a package around Kevin Love. Now, whether that's something the Cavs should do, I think that's really highly debatable. I don't necessarily, like, I think, I mean, I think Kevin Love on this team as presently constructed would be like, would be a lock for the playoffs because it's the East. The Cavs are already close to the playoffs without someone like Kevin Love. They could, and they'd be really offensively powerful. And I think it would be a really great run. It would be a really exciting team losing the first pick overall in a loaded draft for that a guy who could be an Olajuwon type down the line. I don't think that's necessarily necessarily the smartest idea, but I guess it also depends on what the Cavs are thinking about for their title window. If they want to compete for a title in the next two years, and if they think Kevin Love would want to stay, but trading number one pick for a Kevin Love rental, I think would be a really disastrous idea for the Cavs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in a perfect situation where Kevin Love signs an extension when he gets traded to the Cavs, then yeah, that's you do that because the potential of the number one pick is as excited I am as I am about Wiggins or Embiid. Kevin loves a top 10 player right now. And you right. take that because you know he's a known quantity and he's extremely good. You take that. But that's not the situation because you're not getting any that sort of assurance from Kevin Love that he's going to stay more than a year. I guess I would be... So I'm firmly against trading for Kevin Love. If he waived his early termination option, like Chris Paul did when he got traded to the Clippers, I would be more open to it. So you have two years of love. You get to build something there, convince him to stay, sign a longer-term deal after, after two years of playing with Kyrie. You have a new coach. Hopefully you have some success. He gets his first taste of the playoffs, all of that stuff. But, and, that, and that would be okay with me. But I do think the Cavs would have to give up something more than a number one pick. I think they would end up giving a couple of players, whether it's Tristan Thompson or whatnot, to get that done. As far as the Wolves is co- are concerned, I don't know. I think the number one pick is the best asset that they're they're going to get offered if it if it gets offered. Mm-hmm. If it, I'm not convinced that the Cavs are want to do that, but the, I don't see how they can. If the Cavs want to get Kevin Love, they can trade for Kevin Love. That, that's pretty much the camp that I'm in because they're. I don't. I don't think any of these other teams. The Celtics could offer something for him, but they have the sixth pick, and then a bunch of future firsts from that we don't know how good they're going to be. So you, the best asset that the Wolves could possibly get in this is the first overall pick. So I, I think they would be if they're looking at the situation, say we have to trade Kevin Love, and they look at their different options, how could they not want the best possible asset and the best chance for another superstar? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that another team could put together a comparable package, like Milwaukee could theoretically put together something with one of its core pieces, like trading, you know, trade the number two pick plus, like, I don't know. um, Giannis? uh, No, not that one, the other guy, from the one they signed last year who... uh, who got in a bar fight? God, what's his name? Oh, Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders. Yeah, sorry. I, I, when his name's not all caps with an exclamation point, <laughs> I don't recognize it. Yeah, Larry Sanders. I mean, like theoretically, you could put together a package like Milwaukee could do that, but I feel like they they would have even less assurance than yeah. Cleveland, even though they have a new ownership and they're starting kind of a new phase and new chapter in their franchise or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah um, Minneapolis and Milwaukee. Yeah, you'd be going from west to east, but you wouldn't be changing that much stuff and. I mean, but I don't know what, I don't, none of the teams that have been tied to Kevin Love in any sort of potential trade talks 
or whatever have like the Celtics or the Lakers have like real assets to to actualize that trade that you have these middle to bottom dwelling East Eastern conference teams that are the ones that do like Orlando, Cleveland, Milwaukee, I think have the best be able to put together or, or Philly would theoretically be able to put together the best packages, but you know, you're not really getting anywhere and you're not really like, you're not going to be able to be a championship caliber team right there if that's what Kevin Love wants. And then there's also no assurance that he's going to stay and you're just giving up a bunch of assets for a rental. I think, uh, the Sixers have been snake bitten by that a couple times. The Cavs recently gave a bunch of assets for a couple rentals. And I think, uh, I mean, Milwaukee really hasn't done much, but, you know, they could theoretically be in the same boat. But if I'm the Wolves, I look for the best assets if, he, if there's really fear that he's going to leave. But I don't know where he would waive that early termination option if he's not just dead set on going to, like, L.A. or something. Yeah, I think that it's definitely interesting. And and then the other part of this that I think fits in with everything is we haven't talked about is Tristan Thompson because he has another year. You know, he's he's going to be that, and then he'll be a restricted free agent unless he signs an extension. How much of a part of the core do you guys feel that he is, or is he just a guy who's kind of around for now and they'll they'll assess it after after next year? I think he's a guy that they like and a guy that they really want to be a part of that core because he's a high character guy he's the mm. i think if they're if they're looking they want they need to build something sustainable build a culture that can produce results and i think he's the kind of guy that you want around but the problem is you don't know how good he is and he's good at some things and he's bad at a lot of other things he's so he's i wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to an extension and try to get him at like five six five million a year something like that and just lock him up and then hope he takes a big step forward in the next couple of years because he's a hard worker and he's young and good athlete but i don't really know but I, at the same time i could see him just as easily see him be traded so I, it's right. it's it's tough to figure out For my basic i i basically agree with everything you said and i think Part of the problem of the last couple of years of the Cavs rebuild was the Cavs spent a lot of time acquiring and drafting assets more than they drafted and acquired like core players. And I don't necessarily want to read into any sort of long-term plan on that, but Tristan Thompson and like, to me, Tristan Thompson, Deion Waiters, Anthony Bennett feel more like they're like, these guys are going to be assets as opposed to like, these guys are going to be like core parts of a team we're putting together. And Thompson, while he's a really high character guy, He's base, he's athletic, great energy, great you know, great character, whatever. Like he seems like he's a commodity more than he's than they're building him into some part of like Kyrie Tristan core. Like they've been around and around along the same time. They're not the same caliber of player, but there's not like a lot of people who want to like center their part of their franchise around like a guy who's just a decent to good hyper athletic pogo stick kind of guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's just the reality of it. But he's a valuable person on a team in a locker room. He's I mean, like the times I talked to him, he's super friendly, like it just and he's a good person to have in your rotation. And he sops up a lot of good minutes and he's not a crazy liability when everything else is all the other walls are crumbling down around you. You know, like he'd be an asset to any team that had him, but for the right price. And I certainly wouldn't like if there's some sort of franchise changing move to be had or a player to be added. You know, I think the Cavs have a good asset in him, and I think that's kind of what he was brought on to be and not really part of a core. Yeah, I think he, he kind of reminds me of this Amir Johnson type of player mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily on the court, but just like as far as value is concerned, he's just like he's a guy that you like to have, and mm-hmm. he's, I don't know, you need yeah. those. Not everybody is going to, not everyone that you build your quote unquote build your team around is going to be a star. Right. It's just you need like those kind of foundational guys who keep your system going and your your culture in check and stuff. So I think, again, um, every single thing we I say is going to have the caveat of depending on who they hire as a coach. Right. But I think I, I could very easily see a coach liking him and wanting him to stick around. And then I don't think his value on the market, his his market value is particularly high right now. So I think the Cavs might try to get ahead of his improvement and sign and lock him up for a couple more years with an extension and at like below market value or at least below what he'll be worth in a year or two. Right. 
And I think he's basically like everything the Cavs wanted J.J. Hickson to be. Like when J.J. Hickson was around, like he's the same type of player, except he doesn't have the same kind of headaches that come came with J.J. Hickson. And like he's sort of basically like a his peak is like a Tyrus Thomas kind of player without all the headaches. Right. Like he's just he's athletic. He puts in good minutes and he's like good in the locker room, gets along with all the other players. And the fact like I don't want to read a ton into this, but the Cavs have been, you know, making a run on a lot of Canadian players. And he was the first addition to the team in that regard. And if they're going to keep quasi-Canadian <laughs> core going and, and pick up Wiggins, like he would be a valuable asset in that regard too because they know each other from – that would be a good character person to have around from knowing each other from all the national team stuff that they do together. Yeah, and one last thing. on I mean, we don't need to spend 10 minutes on Tristan Thompson, but um, <laughs> <laughs> what, the, the last thing I'd mention is that he's, he's the best connection that they have to LeBron as well. Um, right. He has the same agent as LeBron and – Rich Paul does not have that many clients. So I think that's, if you're going to, you have to, you can't trade him away and then be like, hey, LeBron, come play for us uh, because it's the same agent. And it's like, that That just doesn't seem like that. It would, it would w- play out that way. So I don't know. I think, I think they need to at least, if they're going to see the LeBron chase through, which they should, because even if it's a 1% chance, you have to, Go, like you, it's so worth it to try to get LeBron James, unless he says no. There's a zero. There's no way I'm doing that. Then you can do whatever you want with Tristan Thompson. But you have to at least put yourself in the best position to try to get LeBron. I mean, there was a one percent chance the Cavs won the lottery this year, right? So like, <laughs> that's true. And this is a way more a high, way higher reward. Like you have to at least put yourself in a position to go for it. I agree with that, and I think that the. The most important thing around the league is the possibility of getting that tier one guy. And if your goal is winning a championship, I, I use this stat that other than those Pistons teams, both the Isaiah ones and the one that won, almost every NBA champion in the last 30 years has had a player that has already won an MVP award. And so you can talk about how maybe Kyrie can do that eventually. And there are other guys like that. But if you have a chance, and with LeBron, obviously they have a chance, you know, they, they, they have a chance with him. I think you have to keep that door open as long as you can. And the nice thing with them is that they won't have to make any decisions that really bind their salary cap, which is the other big constraint, until LeBron has made his firm decision on what he's doing next. And then at that point, to me, if, if I'm the Cavs, then you fill up your boat and then you try to time it so that it clears out the next time he's available because he's your best shot. I think that, I mean, all of these arguments are valid, but I think, like, there's one thing about going for LeBron and, like, leveraging your chances to get him and jeopardizing your chances to do anything else in the meantime. And I think if what people have been saying over the past couple of years is true, that they've just been, like, leaving this giant gaping hole at small forward in the, like, let's piece another team around and, and let LeBron fill that spot again, I don't think that's necessarily a good way to show that, not even that like you learn your lesson, but like show that you can actually put a team together. Like I know the drafts haven't been super strong, but there's a way to show that the franchise is like is capable of winning games and is stable and makes it look even more attractive to him. Like the like the one of the big knocks is like LeBron's not just going to come back because you know because Tristan Thompson has Rich Paul as his agent and because they have a bunch of number one overall draft picks and he's from the metropolitan area like and he's this whole prodigal son thing after he went on a sabbatical he's gonna come home like that's not necessarily a a founded argument to base everything on but if you put together a team that can like win games without looking like everything in the front office is up in flames then yeah maybe it's like okay this is attractive this is stable i'll come back not like this is in desperate need of help and i have to help them again and i think that the Cavs need to like make sure that they know how to you know win and put together like a good direction before they even make that argument that like, this is the perfect fit for LeBron. I agree with all that. And I think that's what they tried to do this past year when they said like, we're going to make the playoffs, we're going to win and like at least try to be competent and be a good team for a little while Mm -hmm. and like kind of do what the Bobcats did where you just like that, even that level of success. um, Mm -hmm. And that's where you trade for guys like Luol Dang, even if it requires giving up some assets, which it's kind of arguable how much they actually gave up. But right. the problem with that, is, everything you just said, is that they are out of time. <laughs> they yeah. have no more. 
certainly you could look forward to the next time his contract is up, depending on what if he signs whatever deal he signs with whoever he signs with this this summer. But there's there's no more time to put together a team that says, hey, LeBron, look, we can build a competent team and we like this is a really great situation for you to join right. because his, his <laughs> free agency is is coming. So the only the only way that that would really the only argument that I've heard of how they would do that is if they just pushed all their chips in the middle and said, OK, Kevin Love and LeBron, we have Kevin Love, we have Kyrie Irving. Let's do this. And it's in theory, it could work. But that's also the situation where you said where that prevents them from doing other things, building without the idea of LeBron. So I don't I wouldn't advocate for that, but maybe David Griffin and Dan Gilbert are ballsier than I am and would and have a better read on the situation. Say if we do this, then we're then LeBron's coming and we, we've then you've got something. But I I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it it really is a complicated situation, and I think that you you guys are right in in the balancing act of everything. But we'll move on a little bit to the rest of the draft. Obviously, the Cavs have the number one pick. Are there any guys later, let's say late first, early second, that you think would be a particularly good fit with this team in case they end up down there, which they very well might considering their assets? I haven't really been thinking about it because I've been kind of focused on the the top of the draft just because that's where the Cavs have the first pick, and that's what needs to happen first. I think, like, I really like a guy like Clay Anthony Early, and I know that he's kind of mocked in the mock drafts. He's somewhere in mid to late first to early second, and I'm pretty high on him. I think he's going to go in the late-ish first. He'd be a guy that I think could be productive and will have a nice NBA career, but I don't think the Cavs can sit at 33 where they're, second round pick is and get him so there there are a few guys uh that i think the Cavs could target as kind of role players but at the same time they just don't need any more youth on this team i think it's mm. much more likely that the Cavs trade for some veteran role players than move up into the first round to get to get somebody I, they just the team's so young as it is i don't think you need more rookies yeah no i i agree with that i mean not that they're not in the same kind of rebuilding situation as the wizards but Basically, the Wizards, they hit two drafts, and they botched a bunch of other draft picks. And then they were like, all right, we have to like do something to stabilize this core. Let's get a bunch of veterans. And I think, for the most part, it has worked to like kind of establish some sort of like stability and culture, whether or not it has totally messed up their cap situation to be like slightly above mediocre team for the next few years is another thing entirely. But there's a limit to how much inexperience you, or to how, many, how much youth you can have on a team because there's only so much you can do like a bunch of young guys is, is great except there's no one like to like write the ship you need to have a, uh, a couple of veteran presences on the team just so you can have somebody for these young guys to like learn tips and tricks from not even like learn about like like where to shoot on the like you know actual aspects of the game but like nuances of the game that come from like little bits of experience there's a reason like you know guys like Derek Fisher and whatever have been in the league for a million years. And it's not because he can actually do a ton of things, but he, or like Jason Kidd lasted for so long. Like these guys have like little bits of information that they're able to pass off. Like Andre Miller has a little bits of information that he's like been able to, you know, pass off to the players that he plays on the last couple of teams he's been on. It's just, you have to have a couple of older guys who can fit in rotation minutes that basically act like assistant coaches. And that's what you need. And if you can't just like, litter the roster with like just people on their rookie salaries that's as favorable as the cap situation might be like it's totally bad for establishing any sort of stability in the franchise i agree and i think that's and i, and I think it's even more than uh, more off the coat that court than what you're saying i think it's just like how to Kyrie irving was 19 or 18 when he got into the league he's got to be you have to have somebody that shows him what it means to be like a professional basketball player mm-hmm. and like how to like work hard every day and like have a good diet and like mm-hmm. all the things that it means, like just how to carry yourself. And I think that's a big reason why they wanted Luol Deng in there, even if it was just for half a season, just to like show somebody that they can respect, somebody that has success, a player and be like, okay, this is how he conducts himself day in and day out and that's what we need to do if we want to have right. that kind of success and I think right. it's I don't I mean I know people would say I'm being a Cavs apologist but just the way that 
the situation that they were in after LeBron left. So you have that one year where it's just a total disaster. They have no talent the first year after LeBron leaves. And then to have three years and then be like a competent team in the third year, I don't think it happens very often in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot longer than that to build from the ground up and be like, okay, we're a competent team with a stable front office and stable coaching position based on entirely on 20 and 21 year olds. It just, I just don't think it happens. It's fun to say, oh, well, the Cavs couldn't even make themselves look attractive by the time LeBron's contract is up. But it's like it's not that much time in the NBA, and it's not it's not particularly easy when you have nobody other than Anderson Berger who's always hurt. You have no established right. veterans that young players come in respect and can like learn from. So it's it's a tough situation, and like the timeline was kind of sped up just because of the LeBron narrative. But it's I don't think. I'd have to go back and like look throughout NBA history just of teams that are like disastrously bad, how quickly they get back to like the playoffs. I don't think it's that it's like a matter of two or three years. Yeah. And the other thing that I would add into that, the analogy I would make is to the team that currently has Kevin Love, which is Minnesota. And Minnesota got a lot more assets for Kevin Garnett than the Cavs did for LeBron. Mm-hmm. And it's taken them a long time despite having a top 10 player. You know, they have Kevin Love, and a lot of that is that their GM has done a terrible job with their previous GM. And, you know, they, they, (laughs) yeah, and current GM. But, so they've, they've missed on a lot of things. But they also got Pekovic for a second round pick, and he's a pretty solid player and things like that. So, yeah, I think that you're right. And also the idea that there's a difference between being kind of shaky and being more bereft of talent, like the Sixers are now and the Cavs were then. And it takes a lot to get, you know, let's say eight guys that should be in an NBA rotation. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to what Amin was saying in terms of the idea of how you build the team a little bit differently. Because LeBron kind of in some ways fills two gaps. Because not only is he such a good player, but he also plays a lot of minutes. So that's the other part in terms of building a team is that instead of trying to get eight guys, you're looking more for something like six. And you're looking for slightly different things if you're trying to gun to get him and trying to gun or trying not to get him and just build a good team. And they're close to the rubber meeting in the road in terms of those decisions. But the nice thing to me is, yeah, as we said there, they'll know one way or the other relatively soon. I mean, even if LeBron opts in and then presumably opts out after next year, that's, you know, that's still within the time frame where a decision can be made on Tristan Thompson and all that kind of stuff. So we will see where that goes. But the other point that I've been asking everybody when I've been doing these segments is on what I call the timetable of contention. And basically what that is, is when do you see this team peaking and how, and why so is that, do you think that we're going to be sitting here like three years from now and they're going to be whatever that is, whether that's making the conference finals or whatever, or is it closer than that? Is it further away than that? We'll start with Conrad. I could tell you more after this offseason. Um, I think it, well, if they get LeBron, then they're contenders next year. Like that's, I mean, that goes without saying, but if, assuming that that's not going to happen, you have it, like you lock up Kyrie, I guess. So you draft Embiid. I mean, it's, it's hard to say just because there's so many like franchise changing things that are going to happen this offseason mm-hmm. or potentially could happen this offseason. So it's a little tough to say, okay, this is their trajectory, but Ideally, you lock up Kyrie for the max deal, and then in next, maybe they're in the playoffs next year, and then hopefully trying to win a round or two in the year after that. I think that's reasonable. I think the East makes it fairly realistic to say that they could be, they could win a round on the playoffs in the next two years, just because, I mean, the, what was the four or five seed in the East this year? It's the Wizards, Bulls. Like, that's. Yeah. No, neither of those teams are on like a whole nother level as far as talent is concerned. Um, they're more stable and kind of have their stuff together, but they're also much older teams. And as the Cavs kind of mature, if you can find a group that can mature together, I don't think there's any reason to say that they couldn't be in that position in the next year or two. As far as competing for like championships, that's that's too hard to say. Just because you you'd have to see. They don't have the pieces on the roster right now to do that in ever. So (laughs) so something has to change. um, And whether that's Embiid becoming awesome or getting LeBron, like something pivotal pivotal has to happen for that 
for that to be a possibility. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with that. Basically, like, you have a, a bunch of you know, franchise-changing things that are going to happen this summer, so you can really make a better assessment in a couple months. But at the same time, if you want to look at the windows of the other teams in the league, like, if the Heat stay together, you know, they have a couple of years left based on however they change their interchangeable, some of their moving parts, right? So you can, outside of their core three, you can do a lot of things with all the other role players on the team. And then they can extend their window another couple of years. If you look at the team like the Pacers, they have to assess what their offseason is going to look like. But they're kind of in the same boat where they have, they're in a good place. They have a good structure. They're the same coach. They have relatively same core. They have to figure out what they're going to do with Stevenson. But they can shuffle a couple of things around. But they're not, they're not going to blow it up. Like they have to figure out, you know, whatever happened in their, in their brains this year that made them so weird for a few months. But essentially, they won't blow it up. Then you have the rest of the East and the wizards have, I think they kind of overplayed their potential this year. So I don't think they'll do quite as well next year, but at the same time, like they have a, a backcourt that's improving. They have a contract that they're kind of all over the place. So they could theoretically make a couple moves and improve themselves as well. The bulls, they're always a huge question mark of whether or not Rose is going to be able to compete. If Rose for some reason can piece together an entire season of high level play, then maybe we're talking about the Bulls in the same conversation as we are with the Pacers. The Cavs have to be able to get kind of even in, in some sort of like sub-level to these teams next season if they somehow bring in some stability with or without a draft pick, with or without LeBron. Like I, as much as I think it was crazy that they fired their coach, they fired Mike Brown after giving him a five-year deal in, after his first year, I think it's smart to start the coach and the GM at the same time just in terms of foundation building. I think they have a lot of leftover pieces of uh, Byron Scott's hand touched like Dion Waiters. I don't have a problem with, I like Waiters, but I think he's a very Byron Scott player. And Mike Brown had to deal with a lot of pieces on a roster that were Byron Scott players. And I think that was problematic. If they're able to kind of, the coach and the GM are able to put together a system at this draft and this off season to kind of assemble a roster that makes sense for the team going forward. I think that'll be good to have that conversation early on. And I think next year, if you think the pieces that are currently on the team are going to get better, you can have a reasonable conversation if you add in stability and add in like lots, remove any of the weird drama that was happening behind the scenes, then you can talk about this team being in the playoffs. Whether or not they can win a series is a measure of how, if their defense is ever competent or not. You know, like they have the offensive ability to do stuff as long as the players don't freeze each other out, as long as they listen to their coach, and as long as they can like you know, defend a possession or two, then I think they have a chance of maybe winning a series. But we're looking, we're looking at, unless they get like, unless whatever pick they get this year paired up with Kyrie Irving turns into this franchise, like dynamo duo that nothing is ever going to be the same, then they're, we're not talking about contention unless they get one of the top 10 players in the league, top five players in the league. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Are there, are there any other Cavs topics that you guys would want to have us talk about for the listeners? I want to pick up on a point that Amin said with the coach and the GM. When you look at these, like, ideally, and this is every team's, like, ideal, is that you have, like, a coach and a GM who are, like, a package, and they are have been together for X amount of years, and that they've been building this team. There's just, like, that rock-solid foundation mm-hmm. behind your franchise. And, like Amin said, the Cavs have an opportunity to do that now because you have the first year of a GM and he's going to get to hire his coach. He gets the number one pick. Like you could have that situation where this coach started coaching and his first year was Embiid's first year. And then he, that coach Embiid and Griffin go on for like 12 years and have like really good success. Like that's how you build those. Like when you look at like something like the Spurs, like that's what happened. And it's really, and it was really like one pick. It was really Tim Duncan. Like that's, None of the other stuff happens if Tim Duncan isn't there. So, like, you can't kind of need just that perfect storm where all of those pieces come together and they're all on the same page and grow together and become awesome together. Like, that's – it's unlikely and every team wants that, but that's kind of – there's an there's a pot, the opportunity for that to happen. And that's obviously ideal. And you, we could be talking about in 10 years, if, if that happens – 
this year and they set that up correctly, in 10 years we could be talking about how the Cavs are the model of consistency and stuff. Like, it's like, seems ridiculous now just because of how, like, disastrous they've been the past handful of years. But you kind of have a reset button now. New GM, new, new coach, new number one pick. You can, like, you set yourself up for a decade of success if you get all those decisions right. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And I think just to tie on to that, in terms of what's going to happen with the coaching situation this summer, I mean, Griffin has all these, I mean, if you look at all the coaching candidates that are coming across the plate, they're all guys with like basically Phoenix ties because of where Griffin's from. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing for the Cavs. I think Alvin Gentry is one guy who's been mentioned a bunch. And based on what he was able to do on that Sun scene that took, went to the Western Conference Finals and basically was only beaten because Ron Artest had some like Hail Mary buzzer beater that went off the backboard in like game five or six. Like that was a team of not a ton of great players after they had a significant roster tear down, basically had Steve Nash and a bunch of role players and they played really well against really good teams in the West. And I think having Gentry at the helm there was a good stability for them. And he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's been pretty good as an assistant in for the Clippers. And I think that would be a great fit for Cleveland, just especially in terms of he knows strong guard play um, mm-hmm. from his from his experiences, and I think that would be really good to pass on to the Cavs. Plus, you know, maybe he can get some secret tips from Steve Nash, and we can tie that whole like Canadian nexus together again. <laughs> yeah, the only the only thing I would say to that is just if sort of, if we're talking about like having the possibility to be to have a GM and coach and players together for the next however many ten years or so, Alvin Gentry's not exactly young. Um, mm. So I do see. I think he's. I think he's 59. So there's. I think there's some appeal to getting like a young guy. David Griffin's a pretty young guy. Mm-hmm. Kind of and grow and build that together. Um, yeah. But I, I agree on all of your points about Gentry. I think he's. Yeah. I think he's a good coach, and I think he's a little underrated. But I would. I'm, I'm. I'm a little tempted to see what the Cavs could do if they get a young guy and they kind of go through all this together and everybody's on the same page. Then and I think I think he could be some pretty cool in the next handful of years yeah. yeah i've been i've been very intrigued by uh gentry also because of i think it could be great for anthony bennett i think that it would be mm. a really nice a nice coach for that but the other the other thing that i was thinking about mark stein i don't know if you guys have already yet wrote an absolutely excellent piece kind of on the the history in a lot of ways of the duncan popovich spurs and what really struck me was the idea that there was a point early on when Incidentally, of all people, Doc Rivers was rumored to be taken to be considered for Popovich's job before he was established. And the the hard thing about all this when you're talking about the ten and twelve years is that you're gonna have these rough patches. You're gonna no matter what, in no team except for even maybe the Heat, but they had their they had a rough patch too with Spolster early on. That you have to have the consistency from the top and meaning ownership even more than the general manager down. So that if you have the faith in your coach to weather that storm, because otherwise, if you if you hit that point and break the other way, that, that sometimes that's the right decision. Obviously, you know there are, there are situations where it is, but you want to have faith that the the people at the top are going to make the right decision when you hit that when you hit that rough patch, and that's a that's a challenging point for the Cavs just as it is for every team. Yeah, I agree. It's not it's not an easy thing to figure out, and you need it takes. I think it takes a lot of luck, and you kind of just have to. That's how championships happen. Like every like brilliant organization has a certain amount of luck. If you in various sports, the Spurs getting Duncan or the New England Patriots drafting Tom Brady, like those like can like pairings don't just you don't just happen. Like you don't outsmart people to make those things happen. A lot of times it's just luck, and then the the consistency is what is what sets them apart. I think my only counter argument against, or I guess my argument against um, the getting a younger coach to kind of build into this core is the places you're seeing these younger coaches coming in the same time as these GMs, seeing it in Orlando and you're seeing it in Boston. And I don't think that, or I guess it's not a new GM, but just like a younger coach with like a, with a new developmental system coming in with a developing team. And I think they're, they made definitely made the right moves. Uh, you know, I like Stevens and I like Jock Vaughn, but I think for the Cavs, because they're, theoretically slightly ahead of those teams in terms of where they should be by now or where they're trying to be that they need a team with where they need a coach with more experience who's able to get them to the next level of actual like you know being in the playoffs and 
putting together a good series and putting together a stable season. And I, I think that puts, you know, that puts the ball in more experienced coaches court. Not that I'm one to, you know, tout veteran leadership over like, <laughs> new guys or anything, but I think it's, I think it would be, I think it's a good move for the Cavs for where they want to be like immediately to bring in a coach that has the resume as opposed to a coach where he's using this. They want to build an empire together at this point. And the other option with that, which we haven't seen teams do as much, but is certainly a possibility would be to have the person who grows with the team be an assistant coach rather than the head coach. And then, so maybe Gentry coaches the team for four to five years. And then somebody who's been with this core, if there's somebody that he really likes and say, Hey, you know, we're going to get this. And then if, if things work out, then they become the person. So it's the same structure, but it's a different person at the top of the top of the coaching pyramid. That would be an interesting idea that we haven't seen much, but might work with this team. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really fun to have you guys on and we'll see how the number one pick turns out. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks again to both Amin and Conrad for coming on. You can read Amin at Hardwood Paroxysm, and you can follow him on Twitter at AminNBA. That's A-M-I-N-N-B-A. And you can read Conrad at Fear the Sword, which is fearthesword.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter at ConradKazNBA. That's C-O-N-R-A-D-K-A-Z-N-B-A. Had a lot of fun having them on. For those of you who like the Eliminated series, it's going to continue on with a vengeance. Uh, Derek Bodner already recorded with me for the Sixers, and I have a couple other exciting ones that figuring out times and dates and all that to record, and we'll look to continue that. And if you haven't listened to the NBA Finals preview, I really encourage it. It was a lot of fun. Had on five different guests and went over it from a lot of different angles. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any input, feel free to send it to my email, daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, dot LaRue at realgm.com. Or you can send them to me on Twitter, at Danny LaRue, that's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I will read it, I generally respond as well, and I like to have those conversations. So please do, if you do, that's how, how we make the show better. So thank you so much for listening, take care, and make it a great day. you don't go to geico.com car insurance can seem intense like breakup r&b intense i thought you said you love a sweater that i got you if you didn't you could have told me geico makes it easy just go to geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama i even had a gift for a